0: fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. We are looking at Acts chapter 16. Uh, How many of you have been enjoying going through the book of Acts? I'm not looking at hands, so I'm not going to judge, okay? Okay. But what we've been doing is we've been going through the book of Acts as a congregation. and We have a reading plan, so each week there's a chapter or two for you to read, and then we talk about it on Sunday. So this last week, hopefully some of you were reading Acts chapter 16 and thinking about these stories and wondering about what maybe we could learn on Sunday when we get together and, and talk about this. Uh, you don't have to go back to the beginning to join us. You can join us this week by reading chapters 17 and 18, and then I will be discussing that with you. Next week as a part of our message. Uh, yeah. Chapter 16. Now, if I know me, I'm not going to get through the whole chapter. And if you know me, you know I'm not going to get through the whole chapter. So I've had to kind of pick and choose what to focus on this morning. Because just one chapter in, a, in the Bible is so rich with the knowledge of God and his intent for his people. And the stories that encourage us and strengthen our faith. And there's so much that we can learn I want to begin in chapter 16 with verse 1. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. Now, Paul has been here before. We saw that earlier in the book of Acts. This is Paul's second missionary journey. He's embarked on a new adventure. And we begin to learn. You know, I just have to stop here for a second and remind you, this is your heritage, As believers in Christ, you're looking back at your family generations and generations ago, and it helps you understand why you are where you are today as a believer. It's important for us to understand our own history because it informs us about God's intent for us. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Uh Uh-oh. Now, if you've been with us at all this summer through the book of Acts, you understand there's a very significant controversy that goes on between Jews and Gentiles, the Jews and the Greeks, God's people and not. And so we understand, we learned a little bit last week about the council of Jerusalem, right, and these controversies that are going on within the church and how they're resolving them. How many of you have heard of Timothy? Yeah, you've heard of Timothy. How how come you heard of Timothy? He's got two letters in the Bible written to him from Paul, but this is the historical moment where the Apostle Paul meets Timothy. And so we, we kind of begin to understand how this relationship between Paul and Timothy began. But, but Timothy is, so his mom's Jewish, his dad's Greek, we don't understand or know what the situation was with his father or what he believed, but certainly his mother was a believer. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. When we look at Paul's letters to Timothy later, we we learn what Paul's attitude towards Timothy was. Says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, when Paul's beginning to write his letter to Timothy, he says, To Timothy, my true child in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul saw Timothy as a child of his and the faith. We see in 2 Timothy chapter one, I thank God who I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. We catch a glimpse here of Paul's emotion and his heart about Timothy. He loved Timothy as a son, a spiritual son. And he's going along in this journey and you never know who you're gonna meet in your life, do you? He's just traveling on, doing what, he, what God has called him to do, and all of a sudden he meets this person who he will spend the rest of his life mentoring and doing the work with. And this reminds me about what it means to be a part of a community. You know, why do we do things like small groups? Why do we come together? Why do our relationships matter? And think of all the people that went ahead of you that had an influence on you. Maybe you didn't have that, but for for a lot of us, there were generations before. People that we ran into along the way, and they put their arm around us, and they began to take us along with them. Mentors, fathers and mothers in the faith, strong friends. Do you have strong friends? Do you have people that are more mature than you, or maybe have been there before, that you can talk to about your life? Or people that are your age that you can maybe walk through life a little bit with. Why? We need people that, to invest in us and we need to invest in others. I think more often than not, we see ourselves as the recipients, not necessarily the ones who need to give. But it, it's, it, it's true that I need what you have. I, I don't have all the gifts. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the experience. I haven't walked through some of the same things you have. I can learn from you. And vice versa. And Paul takes Timothy and sort of adopts him, if you will. I wonder if some of you grandmas and grandpas in the faith, some of you have been around a while, who are you investing in? Who, who is catching your heart? Who is, who is go, getting your fingerprints on them in life? Who are you touching and saying, let me help you with this? God showed me this many, many years ago. Yeah, it might have been 30 years ago that you learned that lesson, but somebody needs to learn it today. Who are you mentoring? Or who are you allowing to mentor you? Now, sometimes we picture that there's just just this one mysterious, magical person that's going to change our whole life. It usually doesn't work that way. It's usually a community. It's a village. It's multiple individuals in different ways. And I'm, I know this is just a really simple scripture, but it's such a significant moment in history that the Apostle Paul put his arm around. Okay, the Bible doesn't say he literally put his arm around, but... I'm, I'm, I'm picturing it this way, he's saying, come with me, young man, come with me, and then he does this, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and so he took him and had him circumcised because of the Jews, hey, you want to come with me? All right, let's start with this, oh, great. <laughs> now, we learned last week a little bit about this, you know, as, if you were reading through the text, and we learn that they're not enforcing this circumcision onto the non-Jewish believers. They've decided, let's not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are trying to turn to God, as James says. And so, why does Paul do this? Well, first of all, it says, because of the Jews. And so, one of the things that they were very sensitive about in this time is the culture that they were trying to reach and in that culture, you had to be circumcised to be part of God's family. That was the sign of the covenant. And so even though we've technically come to the understanding that that's no longer the case, we're still going to do it in order to reach the Jews. So this is why Paul, though he has all the theological reasoning, he's even got a letter from Jerusalem saying, you don't have to do this anymore, but yet Paul chooses to do it. And it sort of makes you start to think, why? It reminds me of this question I ask you on a regular basis that maybe bothers you, because it bothers me, and it's like this. Is being right always the most important thing? Paul didn't have to circumcise Timothy, and he would have been right to not do so. Wait, what? Do you understand what I'm saying? He would have technically been correct. He didn't have to do it. But he chose to do it because of what he was trying to accomplish with a group of people. He's trying to reach somebody. You know, is being right always the most important thing? And oftentimes I think we kind of get the cart before the horse here. It's like, I'm theologically right and you're theologically wrong, so you're out of here. I'm not going to be friends with you. Get out of my church. Like, what? Wait a minute, didn't you miss the point there? Isn't there something greater at work than the technicality of circumcision? He wants to be able to talk to the Jews and he knows that if he's going to reach the Jews, he has to comply with some of their culture in order to get there. And sometimes we can get in this mindset where even though we don't like everything that we're dealing with, we've got to figure out how to work in it regardless of what we think theologically about it. It's a very important lesson and Paul does this and I'm spilling water all over the pulpit. How many of you have been distracted the whole time because I've been spilling water here on the pulpit? Pay attention now. Don't look at the water. Is being right always the most important thing? I'm sure Timothy was wishing that Paul was not going to do this to him because it's not going to be a pleasant experience. And yet Paul's saying, we're going to do this, even though we technically don't have to. We're doing it because we're wise. We want to reach some people that this is going to matter to even though in the end we're going to change their mind. Do you understand what I'm getting at? This is a tough thing. It's a tough thing to wrestle with. We know that at the end of the day there's truth that's not movable, not shakeable. Truth is always truth. Okay, it's not relative to you, it's not relative to a culture, it's not relative to a time. Truth is always true. But we do see circumstances and situations where Paul is willing to work different angles and be wise about what he chooses to do and not do in order to reach people. In fact, it says later in the Bible, elsewhere, that he said, to the Jews I became a Jew so that I could reach them. And to the Greeks I became a Greek so that I could reach them. We're going to learn about Paul on Mars Hill pretty soon where he's preaching to the Greeks. And what does he do when he's preaching to the Greeks? He takes a Greek altar. My wife and I were there. Jen was there with us. We're in Athens. We're looking at all of these temples and these uh, altars to other gods. Well, Paul went ahead and used one of those to preach the gospel. If I did that in today's American Christianity, I'd be tarred and feathered. I'd be canceled. How dare I use this thing to, ah, it's not worthy of God. And yet Paul was wise. He was clever. He wasn't bothered by that. He knew who the real God was, but he's trying to get through. And it says there when he says, I become a Jew to the Jews so I can reach them, and I become a Greek to the Greeks so that I can reach them, that I might win some. His objective was not to be right, dang it. His objective was to reach people, to see their lives transformed. Did he compromise truth to do that? No, but he was wise. About it. And we learn a lot from Paul. Okay, what else is going on? Okay, he's got Timothy. He has to circumcise Timothy. And then it goes on verse 4. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance. So what are they doing? They're bringing the decisions that have been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So, you know, again, this is one of those things you could just skim over. But if you stop and you think about it, you realize there's authority here. Okay. How many of you have had the t-shirt that says, Question authority. I was just reading in a book, there was a cartoon where two guys are standing in heaven at, and you know, St. Peter's at the pearly gates, which by the way, I'm not going to argue the theology of that. It's a cartoon. Standing there and, and his buddy's leaning over to the guy and he's going, I think you should change your t-shirt. And it says question authority on his t-shirt and he's standing at the pearly gates. Authority is a thing. Okay, it's, it's a whole another something else. God's been stirring to me on the side. And I'm not going to go into it, but there is authority and order in the kingdom of God. How how was it the apostles and the elders? They were considered authoritative in the church in Jerusalem. Come to this decision, and this decision goes to the rest of the church in the world. It's authoritative. There's an order that God has. They've examined the scriptures. They've come to the conclusion. They've agreed about what they're going to do. And that goes out. This tells you something about the church. The church has order and authority. Does that make you uncomfortable? I think it's very, very important for us to grapple with what that looks like. And how it works. Because it's not only true in the natural. It's also true in the supernatural. Which the very next story we're going to look at is going to tell us about. Authority is... I think of the one of the words that comes to my mind when I think of authority is author. When an author writes a book, he's determining what's going on the page, he or she, right? They're the authority in the situation. They're writing what they want to write. They don't care what you think about what they're they might, If they're smart, they'll take your advice, right? But they're the one who decides. And so Paul, part of his mission is he's saying, those in authority in the church have decided this and we're spreading this to all the other churches so they can have this information and move forward. There's an authority in the kingdom of God and in the early church. And then it says in verse five, so the churches were strengthened. What happened because of this decision? There's a strength that comes. They've, they're starting to figure out how to navigate this Jewish-Gentile connection. God has just tore down the dividing wall between the races and... He's bringing them together, and so they have, they're getting strengthened by what's coming. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Again, this is a repeat theme we're seeing through the book of Acts. God expects the church to grow. He expects people to hear the gospel. He expects people to change their mind and embrace his way of life and become a part of this family. That the community could grow. That the mission would continue. That people's lives would be transformed by this good news. So we see some repeat themes here in Acts That have been going on. The church continues to be encouraged. It continues to be strengthened. Even with persecution. People are coming to Christ. It's awesome. And this is our heritage. This is even happening. How did you come to Christ? You had an axe moment at some point. Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you didn't. But all along your journey. God has been influencing you at different times. Through different people. In different ways. And today you sit here listening To the gospel. Because God's been doing this work for 2,000 years. And you and I are a part of it still today to be doing it. We get into some interesting things here as we go on. Verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. Anyone's theology getting messed with here? (laughs) We're talking about modern-day Turkey right now. And as they're they're working through modern-day Turkey, and as they get kind of towards the western side of the map, there's this whole area here that they're wanting to go into, but God keeps stopping them. In verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. It's really, probably for many of us, as we read this this week, we saw a a very descriptive and intentional picture of what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit quite literally is intervening in these guys' journey, both preventing things and prompting things. And so we hit things like this, and we go, oh yeah, but that's Paul. He had that, experience. He had access to that. We don't have access to that, but the Scripture doesn't teach that. We have access to the same Spirit. We are called to be led by the Spirit of God. And they don't give us a lot of detail about how the Holy Spirit did this. their, Their intention is to go do something, and for some reason, somehow, they become aware that God doesn't want them to do it. Now, have you ever done this? I think God gave us authority in our lives he gave us stewardship of our lives and we make decisions and sometimes we see something and we have vision for it it's maybe it's a new job maybe it's some activity we want to get involved in maybe it's a relationship or a connection and we start work we make our mind up and we start wanting to have that happen we start moving towards it but we start getting a sense along the way that something's not jiving here God keeps closing the door. The opportunity keeps shutting. I think this is really important to understand because I've had many experiences over the years ministering with people and visiting and counseling that they, they don't want to make a move at all until they have like a letter in the mail from God certified and stamped. But I think God gave us stewardship of our lives, and we have, when we have something in our heart, I think he causes us to move towards it, and I trust that he will shut the door if he wants it shut, and that's how he leads us. So I think, man, I think I, I, I want to I become a, you know, whatever, I'm going to become a cosmetologist, that's what I'm going to do, God. Can you see me as a cosmetologist? And I start, I kind of think, oh, it seems like a really good idea. It sounds like fun. I'd love to paint people's nails all day. It sounds great. So I start working towards that, but then, but then I'm like, man, my, I'm not settled in my heart. My wife's definitely not settled. And people are asking me tough questions and, well, how are you going to, do that? and pretty soon I'm like, wait a minute, God is starting to show me through other people and through his spirit and even in my own heart, that's a bad idea. You're going to hate it. And I would. God works like that. These guys are, how, how could you stop? Paul, if the apostle Paul appeared to you and said, I'm going to preach the gospel in Turkey. And you go, because Paul talked like that. <laughs> and you'd go, absolutely. That's a great idea. Go do it. Who would stop him? But God goes, that's not what I want for you right now, Paul. It's noble. It's right. It's good. Not today. We have to trust God with those decisions that we make as we move along, and the Holy Spirit works with us, encouraging us. Now, we're going to get into a bit more detail here. Paul has this vision. Don't you wish you would have this sometimes? I know some people do have this experience, but man, I would love it if, to have something so graphic like this, and I I don't know, was Paul just dreaming, and he woke up from his dream, and he saw this? And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go out to Macedonia, And probably a word that almost all of us skipped over, but I think it's so important. In, In the ESV, it says concluding. Is that what it says on what I got up there too? Yeah. Immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. Well, no kidding. That's kind of our attitude now. It's like, oh, you had a vision. Of course, you conclude to go do that. But I don't think it's that easy. Following the Holy Spirit isn't always that clear. There's a point where we have to decide what we're going to do. A decision, a conclusion. See, this whole idea of conclusion, uh, what it was originally in the Greek, is something that's uh, knitted together or coming together and, and concluded and proved. You know, we say it was like used for getting on a ship, even. Everything's come together, and so we're gonna go on the ship somewhere. And, and so there's all these different concepts that come into play. The idea being get on board. They got on board with the idea. They came to the conclusion. They exchanged words, they exchanged ideas and thoughts, and they came to the conclusion. Here's the thing: there's a reason we have community around us. It's to collaborate, it's to affirm. Too often, I run into this where people are like, God told me and it doesn't matter what anyone else says. You ever had a situation like that? Someone concluded without you? (laughs) God told me to be a cosmetologist. That's what I'm doing, Janny. You can't stop me. And we all kind of roll our eyes and shake our heads and go, this is a really bad idea. There's nothing affirming in me. We we see in the the Bible, you know what's cool is the Bible gives us instruction about these things. So they come to this conclusion, they had to decide. If I'm praying about something and I'm sensing it, and I go talk to my wife about it, and I talk to some of my mentors, and I call up Ryan Dahlke, and I give Aaron Schwabauer a call, and we we talk about, guys, I'm feeling this, I'm thinking this, and they're like, man, I really sense that that's good, I think that that's good, or I think it's a good idea, but I don't feel good about it. And we keep praying about it until we get affirmation. That's why we have community, we need each other. These things are to be weighed and judged if I could use that word. I mean, there, there's, been, there's extreme examples. Hey, the Holy Spirit appeared to me in a dream last night and told me to leave my husband. You're never going to get me on board with that. It contradicts Scripture. We have those things as well. We have to be very, very wise about these things. Here, Paul's little missionary group concluded they're adding these things up. They're praying. They're, and they've come to this decision based on this prophetic kind of input. You and I are no different. I got a couple passages here. But it looks like I left them out of my nose. Oh, there it is. First Corinthians chapter 14. And Paul's talking about prophecy because in, in, in Corinth, they're very exuberant about the gifts. We don't see this a lot in the other churches. But in Cor- Corinth, man, they're like hyper-charismatics. They're having really chaotic services, and it's really getting out of control and disorderly, and Paul's setting them straight. He's saying, it does not work this way. And one of the things he's saying, he's putting the prophecy into order. In other words, God is, you know, these people are having this sense of what God is doing, and they're articulating that. You know, when someone speaks, we think of prophecy as God took over the body and made my mouth move, and thus saith the Lord, you need to go be nice to your wife. No, it doesn't work like that. It's a sense. It's like, I have this thing, and so I'm taking godly language and I'm I'm trying to translate it into English and tell people about it. I feel like God is saying this. I'm sensing this. That's very real. We totally believe in that around here. That that sense of prophecy. But it's gotten so out of control with the Corinthians and Paul's putting an in order. And one of the things he says is, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. One of the most important principles of being led by the Spirit and hearing from the Spirit of God is weighing what you think he's saying. Because I think we have the tendency to think, boy, if I question it at all, I must not have any faith. Like, no, I don't, I don't think that's right. We need to weigh it. There needs to be affirmation. There needs to be confirmation. We need, we need to continue to seek out, especially when it's big, big decisions. And we continue to submit one to another. I'm going to run it by you. You're going to run it by me. And we're going to be like Paul and his team who who at some point comes to a conclusion, a decision, where all the information has come and been knit together and all of a sudden we see what we're supposed to do. There's so much wisdom in here about being led by the Spirit and what it means, what prophecy is, what it means to hear from God and share that with other people. God did not design these things to be chaotic and hurtful. He decided them to design them to be in community and for the benefit of the community. What does Paul say? I'd rather rather speak 10 intelligible words than 10,000 words in a tongue, right? We're all like, tongues are amazing. Yeah, tongues are amazing. I'd rather do something that edifies the body of Christ. So if I have to sit up here and be a boring teacher that you have to listen to, I'd rather do that than speak a word in a tongue that nobody's ever going to be edified or understand. You understand what I mean? God cares about the community and its development. Okay, I need to move on. I'm going to go ahead and skip down a little bit here, media people back there, because of course I'm taking longer to say what I want to say. I'm going to skip down to this story uh, in verse 16. So if we can skip down to Acts chapter 16, verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Wow. All right, we could talk about this the rest of the day because it just opens up this whole concept of a supernatural realm of people being influenced by spirits, whether good or evil, how the human being interacts with the spirit realm. And this this particular story has a lot of interesting aspects to it. And that spirit of divination in the original Greek, what, what was originally written by Luke is a spirit of Python, is what that says. Now, Python If you're a Greek uh, mythology expert, which I'm sure so many of you are, was a giant snake that guarded an oracle at Delphi, it was called. And it came to represent the concept of divination, which is accessing the spirit realm for things like fortune telling or contact with the dead. Now, After the age of enlightenment, we've tried to push these things aside as though they aren't real. This this has some other explanation that is logical. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches very clearly there are forces of evil in heavenly places. That there are good uh, spiritual beings in existence and those kind of things. But this one is interesting because when when we're reading the stories of Jesus... By the way, Jesus is the first one that really has the authority. He's got the power. He has the say-so over demonic forces, and he's casting out demons. And this is new at the time of Jesus. This is not something you see happening in the Old Testament. There wasn't an authorization of that level. And so Jesus is able to cast out demons, and usually it's pretty graphic. Like, they're screaming at him. They're convulsing on the ground. There's, like, this intensity but this one is really unique. This girl has a spirit of Python, of divination, that she exercises for the benefit of others. She's making a lot of money for her masters by exercising divination. It, it may be fortune-telling. It may be contact of the dead. Contact of the dead is actually a, a real thing. And we, <laughs> Now I've opened the door. We've got to talk about this a little bit, right? What does the Bible say about these things? Well, I want to... I talk about Deuteronomy chapter 18, because see, this girl doesn't seem to be being tortured by this demonic power. She's actually utilizing it to her benefit. And I know a lot of people will say that that stuff's nonsense, but, you know, just there's too many stories, or too many things, too many things I've seen. It's it's not, it's absolutely real. It's absolutely real. One of the things in Africa, uh, when something's going on, one of the first things they'll talk to you about, especially when you're dealing with something that's, evil. It's like wicked. You're trying to figure out what's going on. And one of the things they do is they will actually literally look for objects in the home that are sourced from witchcraft because it's very much a part of their society. Now in ancient times, you know, God said don't worship idols, right? And we all laugh at those guys like why do they worship the little Rock guy on the, you know, why'd they do that? But it wasn't that they just thought the rock was magic. What they did is they would make an idol and then they would invite the spiritual power to occupy that idol. So they weren't worshiping the object per se. They were looking at the object as a representation of a supernatural power outside of themselves. And so God condemns this. He's saying, you're relying on power and authority that's not me. You're, you're worshiping other gods, False gods, demonic powers, powers of evil, and and that's how that worked. And and it's it's still very real. And this was very real in their time. So there's a lot there we could discuss. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, when God's talking to the children of Israel, he says, when you come out of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering. Why did he have to say this? Because they were doing it. They're sacrificing their children to these demonic powers. To their idols. And these things are are powerful. They're real. They aren't uh, non-existent. They're, there's actually power here. Anyway, I can't, don't want to get into it too much. Anyone who practices divination. There we see that word again. Contact of the dead or accessing supernatural power. Or tells fortunes, or interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. And we're like, oh, I know a lot of attitudes would be, that's just uh, superstitious nonsense. No, it's very real, it's very powerful. And it actually empowered people with evil. And it still does today. We actually see in a story where Saul is finally failing as the king of Israel. He's the first king of Israel, and his rule is failing. And God has rejected him as king. And you know what he does? He goes and finds the medium, the sorceress, the witch of Endor. Not the moon of Endor where Star Wars was filmed. She's the witch of Endor. And it's illegal because of this law to be a, to be a witch. But Saul disguises himself and goes to her, and, she, and he basically goes there and he says, I want you to call up a dead person for me. And she goes, What are you trying to trick me? Saul's going to kill anybody that does this. And he's like, Nothing will happen to you. Do it. And She's like, Okay. Who do you want me to call up? Samuel. So she calls up the prophet Samuel. And actually, Samuel does come. Now, some people argue that, no, there's no way it could have been Samuel. It's, it was a demonic thing or whatever. That's not what the Bible says. It says very clearly that this is Samuel that comes up. The witch realizes who it is and realizes that this is King Saul, freaks out. And Samuel speaks to him and he rebukes him, and, and he's rejected as king. And shortly thereafter, Saul's dead. He dies. And it says in Samuel chapter 15, verse 23 For rebellion is as the sin of divination, rebellion is like witchcraft and Saul had rebelled against God and it was equivalent in God's mind to participating in contact of the dead or using other power other than God himself because you have rejected the word of the lord okay for rebellion is as a sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the lord he also has rejected you from being king powerfully weird and evil and terrible situation when Paul begins to dive into power outside of God himself. Okay, let's come back to our story. Paul, actually, I'll give you one more verse before we wrap up the the story of this girl. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, which we often feel like is the case, but against principalities and powers, against cosmic powers, authorities, rulers. There's lots of words we can use there in different translations. Rulers, authorities. There's that word authority again. Cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. This is real. And we have to understand that there's so much more going on than meets the eye. And here Paul is in this situation in Philippi where this girl is following behind them and we see that this is going on for days. And she's saying, these are the guys that know the way. These are the guys who are proclaiming to you salvation. What? A force of evil, a non-God power is telling the truth? That's interesting in and of itself. And Paul, they I wonder, I wonder what Paul thought at first. He's like, that's really weird, and it's not right, but she's plugging for us, so I guess we'll keep her going. What did, did Paul have the authority the first day to cast it out? Sure he did. But this went on for days, and it says, Paul became greatly annoyed. This is one of my favorite scriptures. I feel a little more justified when I get annoyed. Okay, Paul got annoyed. I guess it's okay that I did too once in a while. Although he had a really good reason. That really, that word annoyed uh, in its full understanding is like he's disturbed. He's troubled by what he's seeing. He's not just like, that girl's getting on my nerves because he talked like that. He's like, he's just, this is disturbing him because he knows this law. He knows that this power is not of God. He knows it's something that God doesn't put up with, that we're not, let, we're not allowed to be activating and using. It's why, it's why we, would, we would not encourage the use of magic or I don't care if it's white magic or black magic or whatever it is. This stuff is very real. People tap into it. They try and get power from it. We try and wear a crystal that says, this is going to make me feel good today. It's like, what? Are you serious? But we do that kind of thing. Paul's very aware that this is not of God. Finally, what does he do? He turns to her, come out of her. What does Paul have that they have never seen before? He has an authority. He has a power. He has an authorization to shut this down. And he does. So I hope that as you were reading through Acts this week and you're reading this story, that you're realizing how real this is. Now, what do we do with the information? How do we go on living after J.R.'s strange message today? about this stuff? Well, we just keep wrestling with who is God and who are we in his world? What is the, where are these other things? How do we deal with them? What does the Bible teach us about it? How many of you remember the satanic panic of the 80s? Come on, that's funny. It was real, right? I mean, everything was the devil, more than Bobby Boucher, right? (laughs) And, uh, you know, those things are real and we tend to get cynical when we look at, look at the witch trials of Salem, I mean, holy cow, you want to talk about a bad spot in our history? And so we th- then we tend to overreact the other way and go, well, that stuff isn't real. It's real. I just don't think you can drown them to see if they're a witch, and if they survive, then they're not, <laughs> or they are, or whatever, whatever they did. Terrible things like that. There have been terrible things done when looking at these kinds of things. So we need to be wise. What does the Bible teach us? How do we deal with those things? Would you stand, please? Of course, the story goes on that Paul and Silas get beaten. And then they get broke out of prison. But the thing I wanted you to hear in that and maybe think about, if you already read that this week, is about the doctrine of suffering. Do you know there's a doctrine of suffering? Do you know you're called to suffer? We are all called to suffer according to the scripture. Jesus himself, even it says, was made perfect through suffering. Suffering. And we walk in those same footsteps in this life, Where sometimes we get into this thing like if something's wrong with me, I must be doing something wrong. If I'm suffering, then something, that's not God's will for my life. I'm sorry, that's not what the scripture teaches. But actually that suffering produces perseverance in us and on and on. For those of you who want to dig into that further, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that God help us not be foolish with what we've learned, but to be wise, Lord, that Lord, we don't want to create a weird, fanatical, superstitious kind of thoughts about this, but we just want to understand what the truth is and how we are to navigate it as your people here on the earth. Lord, and to understand how much power and authority you have and that, that we may be called to use at times. Lord, I pray a blessing on each person here today. Lord, that, that you would be, your spirit would be filling them as they go about their day, influencing their thoughts, just like they were, you were influencing Paul and Silas and Timothy as they're choosing where to go and feeling the resistance or the encouragement of your spirit. Lord, I pray that each one also would be growing in their understanding of that and following your lead in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you'd like to receive prayer, I've got a prayer team up over here. would love to pray with you. Don't miss that opportunity if you would like to receive prayer. Otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday. Have a great rest of your week.